Welcome into TFW Live, the best kept secret in fantasy football, where we keep that week one feeling going all year long. My name is Big Travi, and I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Austin Sear, and a big welcome to my other best friends, Whisper Nation. All of you. <laughs> Every single one of you. Uh, Mike Killjoy, Albert, uh, Ronald, Professor Ron in the chat. I appreciate you all and all those that are, that are still to come. And as always, we got to start the show out with a shout out to our newest members, those who follow us, followed us or subscribed to our social media Run Your Pool, Thiago Cruz, Rago7, Dylan Oaks, Chris Sweet, Eric Figueroa, Lucy.VHB, Boofy Breaks, Parking Lot Polls, FF League Winners. And if you out there listening or watching love fantasy football, you want to enjoy a community where you know you belong, hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel. We're trying to get just one more sub, one more. It could be you. And if you're new, let us know where you're streaming from. We'd love to shout you out on the show. But I am absolutely stoked. And Jack, we've just been killing it with these special guests. And another heavy hitter here today, a very special guest, Drew Davenport from Football Guys, The Auction Brief, uh, FF Lawyer on, t on TikTok. We got to bring him in here. Drew, how are you, my man? And how's it going? Fantastic. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course, of course. We're uh, excited to get into this. Obviously, uh, some heavy-hitting cases, especially this year. I mean, I feel like it's every year, but this year's got some some big, meaty ones. We'll get into that. But before we do, Drew, we want to let Whisper Nation get to know you a little bit. And so we've got some rapid-fire questions. If you're down, we're going to get into these. Um, yeah, well, then he's, you know, he's signed up. He's legally binding. No, just kidding. It's not even legally binding. But do you root for your NFL team or your fantasy team more, Drew? I tell you what, that has switched in recent years. I root for my fantasy team more. I, I, I'm a Steelers fan. I have season tickets, but it's fantasy team for me right now. I love it. I love it. We've had multiple Steelers fans now say that. Um, I don't know if it's maybe the. I mean, they've been good still, even in their bad. Even when they're bad, they're good. It feels like. Uh, I'm more invested in my uh, advice these days. Yeah, I'm that, that, that makes I'm sense about things. Yeah. What year did you start playing fantasy football? That is an excellent question. It was either 99, 98 or 99. I can't remember exactly, but it was one of those two. Right. On fan, favorite fantasy football player of all time? All time. Priest Holmes, I think, gets yeah, the mention there yeah. because I just remember watching him one year and thinking that that dude's going to be on my team. And we did an auction and I said, I don't care what I'm paying. I got him, and actually, that was the year that he hurt himself, like week fourteen or something like that. I didn't win the title because of that, but gosh, he was fun to watch, especially near the goal line. I can picture the stretch play in my head right now, where he picks that little seam and goes into the end zone. Ah, oh, love it, love it. Okay, we got it. We talked the good things. What about maybe the player that's burned you the most? Ooh, boy, that's a tough one. Uh gosh. The one that stings the most. Yeah, my buddies, my buddies will probably make fun of me because there's been plenty, but I do remember being all in on Martavis Bryant. Oh, that did not work so well. Yep. Uh, I just kept looking at his numbers, thinking this guy is an absolute athletic freak. Like, how is he not going to produce? He's gonna pop. He's gonna yeah, pop. Yeah, it's it's coming, man. It's coming. But uh, also, probably Jermichael Finley was a guy that I oh. I was big on too. Packers fans here, we know all about Finley and, and the heartbreak with that one. Yeah. Uh, how about a favorite fantasy football team name? Of mine or of anybody's? Uh, anybody's, yeah. If you, if, yeah, it's yours. Well, I so all my team names, believe me, when I started playing, I was, uh, I was 20, gosh, in my early to mid-20s. So I was a bit different personality-wise. All of my team names that I go with are, are called Dynasty because <laughs> I was in I was in these redraft leagues where I was being a cocky uh, punk and I called all my names Dynasty and then of course that stuck so that's where I'm at. Okay, all right. What's a sound that you love, Drew? Ooh, boy, that is uh, that's interesting. Um, a sound. Boy, oh boy, I tell you what, uh, the sound of my kids' voices, that's a little bit of a compliment. Oh, no, that's uh, right. We love that. We love, love hearing them laugh. I, I'll be in the other room doing doing a show or 
writing or something i hear them laugh in the other room with their mom that's a good that's a good noise oh man i just got all the warm and fuzzies right there i appreciate that one (laughs) favorite swear word as we go the other direction (laughs) oh it's it's easily the f word i I, I drop it everywhere i cannot help it it's just a part of my lexicon now and people who know me just expect it part of the human experience yes (laughs) what are the most leagues you've played in drew oh that's a that's a great question i actually this is kind of funny um I have trimmed down my leagues since becoming an analyst because prior to that I was in, so I was in 16, one year, 16 redraft. And that was before I was in the business. And then I decided I kind of kept cutting down, down, and down, down. And I realized that four was about perfect. But now that I'm back in, in, I'm in the industry now, I'm in a 10 or 11 redraft, but. Yeah, that goes. seems to be around how it goes. But yeah, you did. You definitely got to look at cutting down once you're starting doing doing the advice game. Uh, sure. Most exciting fantasy football moment. Well, this one, this one's easy. Um, I, I actually, I will say that I have. They're linked together. So I got when I got the job with Football Guys, they needed somebody to go to the King's Classic draft in Canton. And this was something, I don't know if you guys know anything about the Kings Classic, but we draft in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So okay. uh, Bob Lung is, is connected with the Hall of Fame because he he drives um, he drives one of the inductees around every year because he lives in Canton. He's been doing that since he was a kid. So he's got this connection. So he started a league of all the best players uh, in the country and said, we're going to draft in the Hall of Fame, which is a great idea. Well, I got hired and football guys just didn't have anybody to send. And they're like, would well, you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, sure. I don't know. Well, I show up and I, I can't believe it's the coolest thing I've ever done, drafted in the mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. And then I ended up being able to win the um, title in the auction league because it's two leagues. You draft a snake and then you draft an auction back to back. And I won the auction league the last two years. So oh, nice when player. I yeah, when I wrapped that up, uh, it, it went into the uh, Packers-Vikings game, if you remember that ice bowl uh, with Sean Mannion and – so the Packers were just running the hell out of the ball, and I was against A.J. Dillon, and if you remember, he had a couple second-half touchdowns. But I had Devontae Adams going. So when it finally wrapped up, I don't know that I've had a better feeling of winning a back-to-back title. That's awesome. Like That's that. really good. So, great. That's amazing. Love that. Uh, how about uh, favorite game day beverage? Oh, I'm – you know, I, this is going to sound funny. I do like to have uh, drinks, believe me. That is not a problem for me. But when I'm watching football, I don't drink a lot. So it's water or or soda when I'm watching football because I like to pay attention. I don't like to have a clouded mind. Yeah, we're working. Yeah, exactly. Sounds kind of funny, but yeah, <laughs> No, it's it's been a common answer definitely for our guests. Boneless or bone-in on your wings? Uh-oh. I'm going to be prepared to be hated on, but <laughs> I'm not a bone-in wing guy. I don't – I don't get it. There's just not enough meat there. I don't. The flavor's fine, but I just like I I have two bites. I'm like, all right, that wasn't that was it on that one. All right, Drew. So, well, it was nice having you. Oh my god, dude, dude, the literal brace. I could like the brace, the emotional yeah. brace. I could feel. Yeah. That was. Uh, I like. I, I like the, someone who means what they say, and I could feel that with you. I knew the opinion wasn't going to be popular, but hey. I mean, I like I like chicken nuggets and bone-in wings. It's all good. It's uh, it's all good. Chicken's all good. I, I'm uh, familiar with the fact that it is a nugget. It is not a wing. <laughs> I'm cool with that, though. Yeah, I'm cool with it. Uh, kickoff is in two minutes. You're still deciding your flex. Do you go with your gut, or are you trusting like the weekly rankings? That you know the the weekly uh, you know, yeah, the yeah, rankings. I, I got to be honest. This is this is an awesome question because I went through. I really went through fantasy hell and back with these decisions because what I like to do, one of my favorite things to do is on Monday night, when the Monday night game is ending, I go through every league and I set my lineup for that week, just based on what I think is going to happen that week, like injury wise and buys and stuff, just so that if I forget somehow I've got a lineup in there, but I like doing that because more often than not, that's the correct lineup because you watch enough football and and people say, Oh, you go with your gut and you're ignoring this and that. And I say, no, Gut is actually something that you refine by watching football and understanding. Mm. And so your gut is actually pretty strong. So I have gone through the ringer with that because I used to just, I'm playing this matchup or that matchup. I don't do that anymore. I think lineup bingo is terrible for, for overall long-term positive expected value. So I very much go with my gut. And if I have that in there and somebody says, no, this matchup is poor, you should switch. I, I'm not generally not going to do that. 
Yeah, I like that. Conviction uh, is is a good thing. And, and you know, you've, you're you talking about football guys. Sigmund Bloom we had on the show, too. And he said, I go with my gut, and then if it's off of my rankings, then I switch my rankings around because my gut is basically, the, you know, like kind of like you said, it's the manifestation of the work that you put in. So it's it a really is. cool way to, to like look that. at it. We know you're an auction guy. We wanted to just ask, as our last question here, kind of your best piece of auction advice going into an auction draft. I think if I had to distill it down to one thing, I would say define your draft early. And I know that sounds a little bit um, simple, but you have an idea going in what you're going to do. Like, I want this guy or I want that guy or I want to go tight end heavy or whatever. You have to do that early because mm. you will sit there and let a bunch of deals go by when you're trying to figure out if you're executing your plan or not. Let's say that you want Travis Kelsey. If you don't nominate Travis Kelsey and he doesn't get called out until there's 40 players gone and then you don't get him, you passed on all 40 of those players waiting on Kelsey. Mm. So I know that sounds small, but I think it's huge with your first couple nominations. Call out the guys you think are going to be the cornerstone of your team. See if you get them or not, and it's going to send your draft one way or the other. Love it. Well, speaking of drafting, we're going to play a little promo clip for our huge event that's happening next weekend. Mock draft marathon. What is this? It's consecutive mock drafts for a total of 24 hours. Requires hours and even years of preparation. Which is a little bit controversial, but... Are you shitting me, Johnny? I didn't plan that, I swear. I can pretty much say 100%. Something that you really love to do. Let the games begin. Somebody came in and stole Johnny and they're hijacking his draft. Oh, he's going to blame it on his 78-year-old neighbor. Damn it, you guys snuck in a super flex. I knew it. Ball is going to taste different than this meatball. That's not that bad from a flex. Outliers decide fantasy Stand out above the crowd. About the same set of 200 players, and it never gets old. That's right. Next Saturday and Sunday, July 23rd and July 24th, 24 straight hours on YouTube. We'll be mock drafting with some of the best in the industry, and we are absolutely jacked, just about booked up on that and ready to rock and roll. It's going to be a great time, so make sure you're subscribed to the brand and turn those notifications on so you know when those drafts are happening. All right, we're going to hop into some news and notes before we get into some non-legal news and notes. We're going to hop into those before we get into the legal side of things. Uh, speaking on a good football show, Lions beat writer Benjamin Raven said he doesn't see Lions wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown getting fewer than six targets per game. Austin, I'll start with you. He's your, he's your golden boy, uh, the, the sun god in dynasty for you. How are you feeling about this? Do you, are you buying into – sometimes these beat writers are, are – not exactly spot on. Are you are you chalking it up to that, or how are you feeling here? I think that the Amon Ross St. Brown evaluation is coming to an apt and natural conclusion. I understand feeling like he had an overinflated end of season finish given DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson missing time, but then we've heard the counter narrative come in that says you're not going to be as productive as Amon Ross St. Brown was, unless you are also good at football. So you can't, you can't claim that his production was simply opportunity driven because at the wide receiver position, that's not available. Like it is at the running back position. You have to actually be good to do what he did. And the only wide receiver over the last six, seven, eight weeks of the season, better than Amon Ross St. Brown was Cooper cup who had the greatest wide receiver season of all time. So I think Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be coming into a situation where he's on notice. Um, I think he's going to do all right. And I think that it, honestly, who I'd be a little bit more concerned about TJ Hawkinson on this one. I think that he is the one who's going to be dealing um, with moving back in the depth chart or the preferential chart from David uh, Jared Goff. And then just to that last point on Dan Campbell and how this would be an ideal receiver for him. I'm not sure about that, but I am sure that Amon Ross St. Brown was the first skill position selected by the Dan Campbell regime in last year's draft. So this was their guy. They went out and got him, and I think he overperformed from a fantasy and NFL perspective because keep in mind during those last six weeks, they went three and three. He caught their that game-winning touchdown, and they have a lot of faith in him. I think he's going to be a, a fine wide receiver too. Yeah, I think the cool thing about Amon Ross St. Brown is he's he's it, I want more of this. Bake it into his ADP because then we can get him at a really good price, and I think he could he could definitely overperform again. Uh, moving on, speaking at a charity event in Boston, Rob Gronkowski said, "I'm done with football." He said, "Even if Brady called, I wouldn't go back to football." Drew. 
Do we believe Gronk? And how do how do we project the Buccaneers offense if, you know, given that given your belief or not in what Gronk's saying here? Yeah, I believe him. Here's the thing. When players say this stuff, they also believe it. So it's not as if he's like trying to pull one over on us. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go back if I got a chance to win a Mm -hmm. Super Bowl. I think things change when the season starts and they start realizing they're missing football. And let's say, you know, the, the Bucks do have a chance to make a run again. I think that he very easily could come back at some point. But right now, I do believe him. I think that he's done. And I've heard teammates talking about him, about how, you know, they see him after games. He's really beat up. The guy plays with reckless abandon. He plays his heart out. He leaves his body on the field. I believe all that stuff. So I think right now the door is closed. That doesn't mean you never say never. And I think there's a possibility. But, but yeah, I think I believe him. And I think he believes himself. Yeah. Like that take. Makes a lot of sense. And and I'm looking at guys like Russell Gage and Mike Evans and even Fournette, I, I really like these guys, especially at ADP, just the bump they could get with, you know, Gronk, AB, and Godwin out for cons- uh, considerable time. All right, moving on, uh, the Dallas Morning News, Michael Gank, uh, get- Gelkin, sorry, reports no deal is imminent between the Cowboys and tight and Dalton Schultz. I believe they still think that a deal is not going to get done in time of the deadline. Austin, I just really want to ask if you think a deal or I'm uh, not screw the deal for Dalton Schultz. Actually, uh, the, there's a debate going basically on fantasy football Twitter. He's not the super athlete, but he should be in line for a ton of volume. Yeah. Is that enough for you to draft him or are you a talent over the volume kind of situation? Um, there's a couple of qualities a tight end has to have to become an answer for you. This is how I frame tight ends all the time. Is he an answer or is he not an answer? There's very few answers in fantasy football at the tight end position. There's a lot of guys who deserve the Jag tag. Uh, and Dalton Schultz for me is someone who gets the Jag tag. That doesn't mean he's not going to be productive for you. He's going to be a top 10 tight end. He's probably going to be a top seven tight end. He's going to do just fine, but there's going to be another tight end. Who's going to do just fine. The next Dalton Schultz, if you will, available much further down your draft board than Dalton Schultz is going to be. So I like Dalton Schultz. I'm just not going to go out and spend the price for him. Cause you can probably find someone on the waiver wire. Who's going to do exactly what Dalton Schultz is going to end up doing. That's not to say I don't like Dalton Schultz though. Moving on, uh, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reports that the Seahawks have discussed the possibility of Jimmy Garoppolo playing for them. Drew, just want to ask, uh, who would receive the biggest update out of Ty- or upgrade out of Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf were Jimmy G to make it to Seattle? Uh, I, I think it's probably Metcalf. I don't think Jimmy G is a terrible quarterback, but I, I heard a comment recently from one of the coaches, and you can tell that San Francisco feels – a certain way about him like hey this guy has 80 percent of what we want but it's that last 20 percent that's super troublesome right having said that he is absolutely an upgrade over drew lock and and geno smith and it's all a matter of perspective just like in carolina everybody says well uh, mayfield's going to a worse offensive line and blah 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 he's better let's just let's just he's better than sam darnold jimmy grapple is better than what they've got it's got to help everybody but I think Metcalf would probably be the biggest beneficiary. I, I think that Lockett really, he was so hyper-efficient because of Russell Wilson. I could be wrong. He might prove me wrong, but that's my feeling. I feel that. Moving on to Russell Wilson, Jeremy Fowler reports, uh, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN reports the AFC personnel evaluator. There was an AFC personnel evaluator, and he said the Broncos are tailoring the team's offense around Russell Wilson. What a concept. Uh, maybe Seattle <laughs> should have done that. Austin, we're another week into this, and obviously a week without actual like on the field stuff here. Mm-hmm. And and so you know you could be undecided on this, but are you more on the side that he's going to cook more, or is it going to be just the hyper efficient Russell Wilson that we've seen even in his peak years in, in Seattle? I think you see something of a blend. I think we're about if this is true. Let's take this at face value. Let's also take the comments Greg Olson made about the Seattle regime at face value. And to remind Whisper Nation, Greg Olson spoke on the offense ran under Pete Carroll in Seattle and that it was like a JV offense. It was very simplified, run heavy, basic setups, not a lot of dynamicism built in there. And that was seen as a shame given Russell Wilson's intelligence, ability, leadership. He could have capitalized on a more robust high-powered system that Pete Carroll just did not seem interested 
in creating or allowing for. So now when I hear a system is being tailored for Russell Wilson, I get really excited for a couple of reasons. The number one reason is this is how you should always build your team. Good coaches can implement a good system. Great coaches devise a system based on the strengths and weaknesses of their roster. So I just like to see this regardless. I think Russell Wilson is skilled. I still don't know if we know exactly who Russell Wilson is, Travis, because he's had to dip and dive and dodge and all the five D, the four D's of dodgeball that are so important. He did that over there in Seattle for so long. And I think he's such a team player. We haven't gotten a real dose of what Russell Wilson is really about. And in Denver, I see a lot of the variables coming together where we could see something exciting on either side. If he's an, if he's a, a huge success or even a bit of a disappointment, I think this is one of the most exciting storylines we have in the NFL for, for a couple of different reasons. Yeah, I'm I'm with it, and 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 so many things at play here. We've talked at length about how much points could be up for grabs in that division. So it's really important that we see a lot out of training camp, and I I would say even preseason about how this offense could be set up. So that'll be an important thing to look at. Um, all right, Drew, it's time to kind of hop into some of this uh, news, this le- these legal updates, as you say, hashtag legal update. Drew, you've been doing this for uh, it says 21 years of experience practicing criminal defense. Is that right? Yeah. So I came out of law school, started with a private firm where I was sort of a jack of all trades. I was doing everything, divorce, custody, civil, landlord, tenant, bankruptcy, you name it. And I decided that uh, no, don't want that. And uh, I really focused on the criminal defense work. And it's hard to find a firm that does that unless you work in a firm where you're working 90 hours a week. Mm. So you're either working with a couple other people, hoping the phone rings or you go to a place like the public defender's office, which is what I did. So I'm, I've been a public defender now for 18 years. All right. Well, we're just bl- extremely blessed to have you on the show, and we can't wait to dive into some of your uh, you know, input here and, and your wisdom here. So, But first, I just want to put a note out you know, for those listening and those in the chat. Um, as, as our man Drew has said here, you know, several times eloquently, uh, you know, uh, on domestic abuse, as Drew says here, battered women syndrome is real. It is not a pop culture convenience buzzword. Leaving someone in these cases is hard and often takes multiple attempts. If you or someone, you know, needs help here are, here are the local domestic violence shelters for you. Domesticshelters.org. That link is also in the description if you're watching on YouTube. So make sure if you know someone or, are in a situation, you use that link there. You can also find Drew's work on TikTok uh, if you search at Fantasy Football Lawyer. So before we get into the bigger cases, I just wanted to know, uh, Drew, if you've got some quick thoughts on Byron Pringle and Geno Smith, because I know when we're searching legal updates, these guys come up a little bit. Yeah, these aren't really uh, front of the most people's minds at this point for obvious reasons, but uh, I'll take Geno Smith first. He... Um, his case didn't get a lot of press. He was pulled over for uh, a suspicion of driving under the influence because he was weaving erratically all over the road, going 96 miles an hour in a 60. That's the allegation. When the officer pulled him over, got all of the signs of impairment and wanted him to take a test. He declined the test as is his right, but then a judge signed a search warrant and they drew blood. Now, The problem with this type of thing is, I know this happened back in January. Here we are in July. Why has nothing happened? This is actually fairly routine. Um, The in these in these types of cases where you have urine, blood, drugs to test, things like that. I'm not saying he has drugs, but this type of thing. Mm. These labs are really backed up, and so Mm. it takes them forever to get to these tests. Sometimes I'll tell clients it's going to be six or eight months. Before you're going to get a result on something like this. Actually, King County there up in Seattle said it might be up to 10 months before we have the results of the blood test. For the record, he says, ah, there's nothing to worry about. (laughs) I read the report. It's not great, but uh, I don't know. Uh, the, the, The policy from the NFL says that if you plead guilty to an alcohol-related criminal charge, there's a mandatory three-game suspension, and it can go up from there for anything uh, that exacerbates the facts. Um, On Byron Pringle, basically this is kind of a nothing burger, I think. It feels like it's not really going to come to anything. He was arrested for not having a license and for reckless driving. And what I say is that he actually avoided some more serious consequences here because I know this is going to sound funny. I've done 10,000 misdemeanor cases and 
not having a license and driving recklessly are two of the lower level charges you can possibly get. They mm -hmm. still carry possible jail time. And of course, there's jurisdictions that do that. But in general, these are low level charges. They're nothing to be really concerned about. The focus for me is on the fact that he didn't get anything worse because there's three possible charges that he could have gotten that made this way worse. He had a child in the back seat, and so they could have charged him with child endangering. They could have charged him uh, with resisting arrest because it sounds like he got really upset when they tried to arrest him. And uh, also, you know, we got to be thankful that there's no allegation of any drugs or alcohol, so there's no DUI consideration. Really, all in all, for what happened here, I don't think we're too concerned about Pringle. I'd be more concerned if I had to rely on him in in, uh, in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, Shots or fired. any 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 bears for that matter. But yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there. Um, so the we're gonna kind of move up in like uh, seriousness, I guess, of the case here, and we'll move to Jerry Judy. Give a little bit of highlight to uh, at Fantasy Football Lawyer on your TikTok. See, look. It's not just the young people out there on TikTok, man. Drew's out here saying it's not just the young man's game. I'll get in there and do it here. So Drew says, victim uh, showed up to tell us two things in the Jerry Judy uh, case. She wants the case dismissed. She's not afraid of Judy. And then, of course, the judge confirms no physical violence involved. So, Drew, based on the way this ended up, I had Jerry Judy and Dynasty, and I did trade him during all this, not because of all this, but uh, it was, you know, there were multiple factors. Uh, but it seemed to be the best case scenario for Judy's on the field prospects. How do you see the league handling this if there is going to be any action at all here? I don't see anything happening to him. Sometimes these cases go away because the victim wants them to go away, and that appears to be what happened here. But the league can still say, hey, no, you were alleged to have done X, Y, or Z, sort of like in the Zeke case. But in this particular situation, they did confirm that this was a property issue. It probably should not have been a criminal charge, although I think in Colorado they have to file the charge if they're out for something like this. Mm. So I don't see the league suspending him if they decide that they want to do something, maybe a game. But I, I really don't see that happening. I think Judy's in the clear. Yeah, and that's uh, good news for all those involved there. All right, um, it's time to talk a little bit of Dalvin Cook. He is the next uh, on the docket and probably the next most serious case here. Yeah, and we know that this case has some multiple there, there, there's a couple of different things happening at the same time. Dalvin Cook had the case filed against him uh, by Graceland Trimble, his partner at the time, his girlfriend. And then Dalvin Cook ended up filing a case of his own. So you had a 70 or so tweet thread, two of them combined there to break this case down a little bit. And what I've done is taken some more of the, taken some of those tweets and tried to condense your summary so that Whisper Nation can have an idea of where this is at in as succinct a fashion as possible. So I'm going to run through a little bit of the work you did here and some of the tweets that we pulled to tell a bit more of a condensed summary, Drew. Um, after that, let us know if this is how it's going, updates that might have occurred, and then we'll touch in on some of those impacts. Uh, so before we get to the heart of the case, you write your standard comments. These are people. Please be respectful about how the case is discussed. And a lot of what is going on in this thread is based on allegations, not proven facts. Um, keep all of this in mind, Whisper Nation, not just for this case, but for all of these sensitive, impactful, and sometimes intense cases that we hear. So the suit details a pattern of violent behavior from Cook starting in March of 2020. The plaintiff states that when they resided together, he showed aggressive behavior and proclivity towards violence. This pattern continued up until the alleged incident, November 18th of 2020. Plaintiff states she was coming to Minnesota to gather her belongings from the house and that Cook and his agent were aware of this. Graceland Trimble arrived, used the garage door opener she still had for his house and retrieved mace from the garage as she feared what Cook would do. And after entering the house, things immediately escalated and the suit alleges a hellish few hours at Cook's residence in which Graceland Trimble was beat with a broomstick, had a gun pointed at her head, threatened with death, choked, slammed into walls and furniture. Serious allegations, absolutely. Cook, through his attorney, alleges that Graceland Trimble was the aggressor and that Cook was within his rights to defend himself according to the Castle Doctrine, which says you can defend yourself with necessary force in your own home. 
bit more on that coming up. Also, the suit alleges Cook continued to contact the plaintiff through the summer of 2021 and repeatedly sent flowers, apologized, and owned his mistake. This could be a major part of the case if they do indeed have admission of wrongdoing in a text or social message from Cook to Trimble. Cook filed the following things contemporaneously, meaning at the same time, Whisper Nation. An answer and counterclaim to the original suit, a new civil suit naming Graceland Trimble, her two attorneys, and their law firm as defendants. Several interesting exhibits attached to the complaint he filed. Remember, Cook's claim of relying on the Castle Doctrine. The Castle Doctrine says that you have the right to defend yourself in your own home. This has been the setup for Cook's case since the beginning. His attorneys are properly laying the groundwork in these cases by saying Trimble took his garage door opener without his knowledge or consent, clearly establishing that she was not living there, calling her entry into the house illegal, using a stolen garage opener, breaking and entering with dangerous weapon. So the answer is pretty straightforward and the counterclaim pretty straightforward here as well as you write it. Those causes of action are fairly predictable, and the main thrust is defamation. These are loosely grouped together and known as intentional torts because they require affirmative acts rather than something like negligence or carelessness. Those causes are defamation, fraud and misrepresentation, invasion of privacy, abuse of power, malicious persecution, assault, intentional inflection of emotional distress. Some of these are creative, as lawyers can be, but None are really unusual or out of line. Um, Betty Cook, who is Dalvin Cook's grandmother, also says that she personally witnessed abusive behavior from Trimble towards Cook, including pulling his dreadlocks and shoving him around others. Additionally, Betty Cook says that Cook had to stay with her, this is her grandson, on multiple occasions to get away from the violence. That's essentially it in its essence. And then you add in here, and I think this part is so important. Keep in mind that the truth is almost always somewhere in the middle. I doubt Trimble is making up the abuse. And I also doubt Cook is making up the problems that he had with her. As always, these are my illegal opinions, me being Drew Davenport. And I'm working with only open source information. Nothing in these tweets is legal advice, nor am I making judgments about the truth of either party's allegations. Please understand these are people um, and be respectful when discussing. So with that, Drew, thank you again for laying that one out. Um, I want to turn it over to you and ask, was this an accurate summation of the case that's going on as we had information up to that point? Two, are there any updates? And then three, the potential impacts from a fantasy football perspective. Yeah, first, that that's accurate, and it still holds uh, holds up pretty well. I was actually, <laughs> I haven't read that since I wrote it. So, yeah, it holds up pretty well. Um, so I think that that's a good summation of what's going on. The weird part about this case is that not only did Cook file his counterclaim, he filed an actual suit himself in another county, which is hmm. weird in and of itself, because you can accomplish the same thing through this suit, or I don't know why you wouldn't file it in the same county, but I believe that Minnesota's first to the courthouse rule is is holding weight right now, and they're litigating under her original case number, not the new one. But that that's kind of a weird wrinkle to the case. But the case itself is a little bit weird, mm. and I don't mean weird, but is a little bit unusual from the standpoint that most times, now I, I'm always defending the domestic violence um, the the defendant, so the people who are charged with it. So it might surprise you to to find that more often than not in these situations, a lot of what the man says, you can look at with a healthy do- dose of skepticism because they're trying to excuse behavior that's completely unexcusable. So I see it from both sides and I hear the inner workings of their brains and how they try to justify some of this stuff. So I would just say right out of the gate that we can't discount the fact that some of what he's saying is probably part of that. But on the other hand, we don't hear such a vigorous defense of the things that she did very often in domestic violence cases. So I think that's something that I would highlight is that he really came out of the gates hard and saying, look, she had this pattern of doing stuff to me. And I think that sometimes these relationships get to that point where the two, the water, you know, I always talk about like hurdles that you face in life. 
and I don't mean face, but like that you cross like, mm-hmm. like, Hey, uh, one day I, I was at a bar and I had a beer and I said, well, should I drive home? And then you drive home with one beer. And then three months later, you're at a bar and you're like, well, I've had three beers. Is that, is it that big of a deal? I, I did it with one. I'll just do it with three. And you cross these little hurdles in your life where then you end up with a full blown problem down the road. Uh, oh, Hey, I had seven beers tonight and I decided to justify it to myself somehow. And that's what I think is going on here. They they have a relationship where they've got this sort of escalating problem where it sounds to me like from what the grandmother says, there were times when she out and out just treated him disrespectfully in public. And it was sort of like a manipulation tactic, like, hey, this guy's mine and don't be messing with this guy mm. because there was a lot of allegations of infidelity. So this is an extremely messy case. And the reason I'm saying all this, I know it sounds sort of like, I'm going on a tangent here, but it's central to the point, which is that I don't believe the NFL wants to step in here because there's been no criminal allegations uh, that were filed. Now, it doesn't mean this stuff isn't criminal, but I mean, there's there's no investigating body right now looking at criminal charges. It's going civil, right? Correct. It's all civil. So at this point, the NFL is just going to be like, hey, well, we don't, we don't, this is really messy. We are not stepping in here. So that answers, I think. Uh, the third question before I get to the second one about the update, the third question about his fantasy prospects. I really don't believe the NFL is going to do a darn thing about this until there's some clarity. And I don't know if we'll ever get clarity. And I got to be honest, I, I, I think Cook's team has done a fantastic job of coming after the credibility of some of the things that she's saying. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate saying that out loud. It feels gross because it's, it appears to me that she d- has undergone a cycle of abuse here. And so I don't know. I, again, I just don't think the NFL is going to step in. I don't believe that Cook is in danger in 2022. And let me tell you a few reasons why. The first thing that I found out, there hasn't been a lot of updates in this case because they're really doing a lot of civil maneuvering and you know, civil cases go so slow. So you, you file a motion and then you get a hearing date and it's like three months down the road and then somebody needs a continuance and then it's another two months and it's just, it's ridiculous. But there was a development recently that I think is important to talk about. They have set a discovery deadline for discovery of fact, basically for all of the things that they can actually, um, you know, exchange with each other before trial of July 29th. So that's actually coming up pretty soon. Mm. Um, And then they'll go into depositions and things like that, talking about expert witnesses, all that stuff. But they also set a trial date recently. That trial date is um, April of 2023, so the end of April through the beginning of March, a 10-day trial window for a jury trial in this case. Now, that is not unusual to set a trial date, but it tells us that we're not talking about getting these facts out until April. Mm. So I don't think 2022 is in jeopardy. Uh, mm. I would say another, the other update, the, the last thing I'll say about the case, and, and you guys can ask me uh, what else you're wondering about, because I tend to think this stuff's important and maybe not everybody cares. But uh, there was there was a hearing recently where three important things were decided. Number one, the plaintiff had moved to amend her complaint to include punitive damages. So not just actual damages, but but punishment as well. Uh, and, and that was granted. So the defense didn't want her to be able to amend the complaint. Court said, no, nah, she's well within her right to do that. So now she's asking for punitive damages. I think that's important. Number two, um, the, the plaintiff wanted to be allowed on his property to not only take a look at just how they're going to map out their case and, hey, I came in through this door and this is what happened in this room and this is what happened here. So they made a motion for that, which is fairly normal. But then they want to inspect his video system because he has a video system. Now, he claims that after the incident, he didn't know that anything was going to happen. And all his stuff is erased after 60 days. So now, I don't know that there's anything like sinister here. I really don't. And actually, that issue was raised because there's a civil rule that says if this was a possible issue, he should have kept it. And so there's a motion to say, hey, it's called spoilation, I believe. Uh, did he have a role in the spoilation of this evidence? Mm-hmm. And the court said, no, that's unreasonable. He didn't know that he was going to need this evidence. So they're not taking any any action against Cook for that. But it sounds to me like the video evidence has been erased. There's not mm-hmm. going to be a video evidence of this. So that's another important part of it. But they were granted the right to go on the property and look around and take pictures and take videos and stuff. And then the final thing was... Um, his counterclaim was for defamation, which I think is important because as a public figure, 
she said a lot of things that really hurt him and that could mm -hmm. hurt his future in not only uh, you know, broadcasting or his NFL career or whatever. Uh, so he counterclaimed for defamation and they wanted to have that dismissed saying that he had not pleaded the case correctly. The court uh, denied that and he is allowed to go forward with his defamation claim. So those are the three big things that happened recently. You know, you mentioned a bunch of things here, how it was, you know, I thought that this case might have been wild. And then as I got more into it, I thought that it was kind of, um, you know, maybe like you talked about the hurdles in life. You could see the kind of normalcies of a, of a escalating relationship happening here. Not that we condone or say it's normal to create, you know, be that way. But my question really is, has there been precedence for a case like this in the NFL? Um, because it seems like it's, it's kind of weird how it, it popped up. And then it kind of almost went under the rug a little bit for a while. And now, like, I think the only reason we're talking about is because I want to know, like, you know, Dalvin Cook and Dynasty. What are we looking at here as far as a long-term view? And then just precedence in the NFL, Drew. Yeah, so the precedence isn't real great. The The mm -hmm. one case I would point to recently was the Antonio Brown case because he had a bunch of civil suits filed against him. But the league didn't do a darn thing on those cases. The reason Antonio Brown got suspended is because he ended up pleading guilty to a felony to a felony battery. Um, so he ended up getting eight games for that felony battery. So, but they did not t stand up and take notice with all of the sexual assault claims. And what's interesting about that is I actually went back and looked at some things about Antonio Brown the other day for another reason, but I saw some of the comments I had made, which were that he wasn't going to go on the commissioner exempt list, which tells me that when it gets into these messy civil situations, they're not going to do anything. And uh, or when I say there, I mean the NFL. But as far as dynasty purposes go, I can't see it being too big of an impact because let's say they go through a trial. Now, it's very possible they end up settling and, and that happens, but I doubt that he's going to settle and then make an admission of guilt. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. And if they go through a trial and he's found liable in civil court, I suppose it's possible that he's in line for a short suspension. But I can't imagine with all the mud being flung back and forth in a civil trial that the NFL is just going to step in and say, we know what happened here. Six games. You know, I, I don't see that happening, but, you know, anything's possible. But I'm not super worried about it. Sounds good. We will move on to another running back who's in some legal trouble here, Alvin Kamara. So we'll kind of summarize the main points recently. If you don't know about the Kamara case, look it up. But alleged, uh, allegedly, you know, I believe with others, right, beat uh, beat up some uh, a man in, in Vegas when he was there for uh, the Pro Bowl. So there are two problems, Drew's saying here on Twitter, that thinking a suspension suspension for Kamara is a foregone conclusion. One is we don't know if he'll be convicted. And then two is the criminal case will most likely need to play out before the league acts. Now, the second point, this case will most likely need to play out before the league acts is the most important one and why we need to jump pump the brakes on suspension talk. One major caveat you say here, Drew, is you say most likely for a reason, because what if the video leaks? Um, and then Drew, you said before, during, uh, before or during the season, all bets are off if that video gets out on what the league will do. However, people are acting as though, sans video, this case is going to be decided before the season starts. I do not see that happening. It matters because when the parties reconvene on the next court date, August 1st at 8.30 a.m., they will still be in pre-trial uh, negotiations. The next question I get is, well, can't the case be settled? Yes. But by August 1st, unlikely. Um, so the likely outcome is that this case gets set for trial since a simple continuance of a pretrial was almost four months. I would imagine setting the case for trial would, at minimum, have the case on the docket for late October or even November. And I think more in your thread, you kind of said that was by design, basically by Kamara's legal team. Right, Drew? More or less. It, the original continuance wasn't their fault. Because th this is wild to me, and I'll never understand this. Like, I, I had a trial on Monday, Friday afternoon at three thirty. I got an email from the prosecutor with a, um, a video. It was a uh, it was evidence about my client contacting the victim in the case and leaving her voicemails. So I got this stuff at three thirty on Friday. We're supposed to have a trial at eight forty five Monday morning. This is not unusual behavior from the other side, but I find it to be wild. The reason that they got a continuance was on April 25th, they were supposed to come in and discuss the case. Defense comes in and says, 
we got video evidence late last week about this case and we don't we haven't had time to review it figure out what how we're gonna you know handle this mm. and the court's like yeah you're right and so why in the heck would you not give them the video until two days before the hearing that's wild so that's not actually cook's or excuse me camara's team's fault they mm. were right to c- request the continuance i'm a little surprised that they set it out to august like because you'd think like okay give them a month but they gave them four months so I think that this is just one of those situations where the legal timeline is going to work in his favor. I think they would have tried to do that anyway because that's the smart play. He's hired David Chesnoff out there in Vegas, and he's one of the top defense attorneys in the entire country, let alone mm-hmm. in, in Vegas. He has connections. He's This is a fantastic hire from Camara. So the bottom line is um, I think that it's very possible – the problem with the problem with figuring out what is going to happen on August first is that it's just still a pretrial phase. And so in order for it to settle, these parties would really have to come together. And I'm not sure that's happening because mm-hmm. the state has an allegation of a nasty injury, some pretty heinous facts, which say that four dudes were on top of him beating the crap out of him. And so it's hard for them to be like, okay, we'll let you plead to misdemeanor assault. Like they can't do that. That's, Mm. that is just unacceptable from their perspective. And from the other side, Camara can't walk in there and plead to some violent crime where he's going to get suspended immediately and, and have to go to prison or whatever. These, these sides are going to be very far apart at the pretrial. It's always possible. It settles always. There's might be something going on that I don't know about, but the bottom line is if they go on August 1st and it is, as it appears, they're going to set up for trial and it's very possible that when they set for trial, his attorneys say, well, we shouldn't really set this during the season. And the court says, OK, that's reasonable. And I know that sounds dumb, like, oh, that's special treatment for him. But my clients get allowances for work all the time. If I have somebody who will call after the fact, after a warrant's been issued and said, hey, sorry, I missed court. I need a continuance. And I'll call the court and say, hey, at least this person contacted me. Can you lift the warrant? They'll recall the warrant and give him a new court date because he had to work. So that's Camara's work. It wouldn't be shocking if they said, we want a trial date in February, and the court said, okay, that's fine. So based on what you've said here, and we, and we talked a little bit of a pre-show about, you know, you drafted him in Scott Fishbowl. I drafted him in Scott Fishbowl after kind of reading your details here. What do you think is, and I know you do auction drafts, so this might be a little bit tough to, but what do you think that kind of cutoff point is for you? You know, we got a lot of redraft listeners here. What would you kind of advise them on the Kamara situation? Obviously more info could come out. Yeah. Well, my advice here, number one, I want you to remember before anything, the reason I took him in Scott Fishbowl is because there's a premium on quarterbacks and the quarterbacks go early. And so I, I went quarterback early and I needed a second running back. And I thought, okay, this is a big field tournament. I'm willing to make a more volatile selection. So the right. first thing I would tell you is there is still plenty of volatility in making that Camara selection. So don't, don't take him and say, Hey, Drew said he's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. think he is good. I, I do. I believe in that take or else I wouldn't have drafted him myself. And in best ball recently, I've been taking more of him in the third round. So I think the cutoff is I'm not really that interested in the second round. I don't think the value is that great because I think with Sean Payton gone and the offense perhaps changing a little bit, he, he's going to be fine. He's an immense talent. I don't have a problem with that. But I don't, there's so many guys in the middle of the second that have fewer questions that I want more. Mm. So I'm really, I really want Kamara to fall to the third. And it, the ideal build okay. for me would be getting a quarterback or, or a Kelsey or something, excuse, not quarterback, excuse me, wide receiver or a Kelsey, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then getting Kamara as my RB2. So if I go RB1 in the first round, wide receiver in the second, Kamara, I'm fine with him as my RB2. That mitigates some of the risk. Because here's the thing. I think about walking into a draft right now and like, my favorite league, like say the Kings classic and taking Camara, it kind of just makes me like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to wake up every week and be like, is this the week the video drops? Like the you and Zeke Travi bringing up memories of Zeke that year. Uh, When he had the off season stuff, you mentioned him earlier and that's what it was. I mean, the night before the draft drew, I'm up late, not partying as much reading damn Zeke data, like trying to yep. figure out what he said in court and where, you know, what the precedence was for this. I wish I'd have known you then. Maybe I yeah. would have got a little bit better uh, advice, but either way. Um, yeah, that's, that's a very important point. And I think, you know, you, you say your favorite league, you know, and you know, somebody that turned us on to you uh, was Dwayne McFarlane uh, drew, and he, he's a big fan of your work. We, we love Dwayne. 
And he says all the time, if you draft only one league, what would you do? You know? Mm, Um, And so I think that was important that you said there, uh, your most important league, the Kings classic. I don't know about taking Kamara then. I don't want to, I don't want to stress about it, but I had the similar kind of thought process you did in Scott Fishbowl that like, we're trying to be unique in these big tournaments. We're trying to get upside and, and, and capitalize on value and you got to beat what three thousand other people, uh, you know. So, like, yeah, and, I might as well swing there, right? Yeah, and and I would add too that same thing with best ball. Like, if you're in best ball mania or the puppy, and he's fallen, that's where you got to be unique, and and you can really capitalize in a big tournament. But also, I would say that it's not as if I'm going to walk in those, um, those rooms and say, okay, I'm, I'm completely out. If he falls enough in the Kings Classic, if he ends up like the room goes silent and he's 17 bucks, like I'm down, I'll do it. But again, I'm a nitty player. You guys know the term being nitty, like being kind of like I'm super cautious. Mm. I'm just a nitty player. Like I don't want to wake up every day and think about whether or not this is the day Camaro is going to get suspended. I hate that feeling. I'm just yeah. not interested in that. Travi, you oh, hate yeah. that feeling or yeah, you fucking I, live on it? I don't know. I kind of, uh, yeah, I'm like a heroin addict getting junk, junkie there. Chasing uh, the dragon, man. Yeah, I love it. No, but uh, only in uh, the league. I, well, I guess I did in Scott Fishbowl, but I, I in our league of record, we doubly or uh, aptly named the only league that matters. Uh, so that's it, kind of has those like fun moments that I just love to chase there. But we'll move on here to a not so fun topic, but something we need to discuss for fantasy football. And that's the main event here, Deshaun Watson. So I want to read part of the thread that you had here on Watson. The disciplinary hearings uh, have ended in the case after three days. You know, he he had to uh, propose this case to the league, uh, and they they hired an outside judge. I'll let Drew kind of speak to that. That's not totally wild, as that was on the spectrum of what you thought could happen, Drew, here, albeit on the long end. A lot of speculation has centered around whether that favored Watson or the NFL. So timeline excluded, Drew. Um, what, as we dive into this situation, situation, do you think is the biggest misconception, false narrative, or mistake that the fantasy football industry hive mind is is kind of putting out there regarding Deshaun Watson's outlook in 2022? Well, I think that one of the things that people have a problem with is separating what may have actually happened and what's been proven to the league. And I think what what that what rolls into that is that a lot of people are still under the impression that with the new disciplinary proceedings that that Goodell can just come in after the fact and hammer him anyway. And I don't necessarily think that's true. And what that goes back to is this was collectively bargained. And I believe that the players union did a good job of saying Goodell had too much power and we need an independent reviewer of these cases. And it sounds to me like one of the, one of the reasons that happened was, the Zeke case and Jerry Jones hit the ceiling about that. Like you just can't just do this when he hasn't been charged with anything. And so that was the impetus for the change. So what's happened is the NFL has gone in front of Sue Robinson, the independent hearing officer, and they pitched five cases that they believe violated the personal conduct policy. Now there's been a lot of smoke after the hearings about what the NFL was able to prove. Now, the biggest problem I have, the biggest myth running around out there is that we know what happened in those hearings. Like anybody who thinks that they have an inside track and what happened in there is you should not be listening to them. We have a lot of reports about like, Hey, the NFL submitted this or that, or maybe it wasn't as strong as they think that's just all speculation. Now I will say there's a lot of smoke about whether or not they're going to get what they wanted out of this, but people keep saying, well, they already offered them 12 games so they must not feel great about their case. That's not actually true either. And I mentioned that the other day. They, The NFL came to Watson's team and said, we want you to be suspended indefinitely, but we'll listen to your appeal to get back in the league after 12 games. So the, the myth out there was, hey, uh, the league offered him 12. That's not true. They offered him indefinite with possibility for reinstatement after 12. And if I were Watson, I'd say, hell no, to that too. That's like me walking a client in and being like, Oh, we can plead as charged, huh? Yeah. I'd rather do that than go to trial. Like that's what, what does that do for me? I'd rather just take my swings at a trial. And I think that's where Watson's team was. We're not taking an indefinite suspension with a possibility he gets in after 12, because frankly, part of the problem is in the reinstatement process, who's going to hear that case. It's going to be Goodell. 
And Watson's not going to suddenly stand up in front of the podium and say, boy, I really made some bad choices here because he hasn't shown the ability to be able to do that yet and, mm. and, and take any responsibility. So there's no way reinstatement's coming after 12. So they're right to turn down that deal. And you continue on this thread. You said, I don't think we know enough to draw a conclusion just from the length of that trial with the NFL. On one hand, you could argue the league had a lot of evidence to present. On the other hand, it's been my experience, your experience, Drew, that long consideration of evidence means the moving party, the NFL, is facing difficulty. Um, in this same thread, you mentioned the NFL likely knows who Watson is and what he was doing. Do you think the difficulty that they're facing isn't so much the evidence, but the right amount of time? You mentioned that indefinite, and they were they were far apart in the indefinite twelve game thing. Do you think that it's more about the right amount of time? Uh, you know, given like public pressure and, and things like that. Yeah, because the NFL at this point, really, what they have to do is damage control from a, a PR perspective, because he he is absolutely. There are, there are plenty of people out there absolutely killing the NFL for how they're handling this, why they aren't doing more to him, why he hasn't been on the exempt list. Just they're getting killed on this thing. So mm-hmm. they really need to make sure that they're taking a hard line. And I think that's mostly what this is about at this point. I was convinced a couple of weeks ago that the NFL had the nuts, that they had him dead to rights. But I don't know that that's accurate anymore because I think really what it comes down to is the NFL was just saying, Hey, look, we know enough about this. L- let me put it another way. If I'm listening to my client and I'm listening to the the prosecution's witness, more often than not, I know pretty much what happened. I can tell which person's lying, how these things unfold, 20 years of experience, it, that'll do it to you. You can tell what happened here. I think the NFL probably interviewed a bunch of these women. And it's like, this dude's a, a dirtbag. He's going around doing X, Y, and Z, and we got to we got to stand up and make a statement about this and if they lose they can just be like whatever we tried we wanted indefinite because we think he's out there doing this crap so i really think that that's where this is now the nfl may not have gotten what they wanted out of the hearing but they tried and they can say we tried and that's Mm -hmm. where we're at um so speaking more on like what happens now you said what happens now robinson has asked for the issues to be briefed and those briefs aren't due until the week of july 11th this week that seems to say things aren't going to be resolved very soon uh you speaking of what we see on twitter a lot i see a lot of people assuming we should and would have had a decision by now given your experience drew and your knowledge of the situation when do you think it'll be resolved and when do you and, and do you think that timeline whenever that is will have been appropriate Yes, the timeline's completely appropriate. And this is a difficult case. It's got a lot of evidence. If it went three days, there's a ton of evidence for, for Robinson to look through. Also, uh, I wrote that on June 30th. So um, I said it won't be resolved soon because right. I was we were still looking at a two or three week, but it's been two weeks now. So, right, sorry about uh, that. The briefs are due. No, you're good. Briefs are due this week. And I don't know, that's a weird way of saying when they're due, like they're due the week of. And I'm like, normally there's a deadline, like July 11th at, at 5 p.m or whatever. Mm. But so I, you just have to assume, okay, they're due by the end of this week. And training camp starts Monday the 25th, I believe, for the Browns, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think we're going to get a decision next week. I think we're going to get something middle to end of next week. People love the conspiracy theory that the NFL wants to dump their news on Friday afternoon. I suppose that's possible. Uh, but I think we're getting that decision next week, and I think it's a completely reasonable time frame. And you uh, continued on here. You said ultimately prediction in, la- in your last TikTok, this was on June 30th, is still about where you're at. So, I, you know, uh, you've been thinking definitely a year and sounds like uh, six various times over the past few weeks. Frankly, these things move so fast, so I'm never sure of myself for very long. That's a great way to put it there. We've seen cases settled. We've seen a third-party judge, as you talked about, Robinson being brought in, monster contract paid to Watson. Final answer, if you had to bet the farm on a ruling that comes down from the NFL, what do you think that'll end up being? And also any legal consequences you see him likely to face, if any. Yeah, um, I want to stress one thing, that that when I talked about the Goodell, uh, his he has the final say in what happens mm-hmm. in this case. The one thing I want to stress is that Robinson's going to come to a decision about what happened in the facts. She's going to make a factual finding and put that in a decision that's going to be uh, published, I believe. And so Goodell can't just come in and say, hey, I want to hammer him for this many games if the facts don't support that idea. 
Okay, so Goodell is bound by the factual finding. Mm. So I don't know if we can really fairly say that he's going to mess with the suspension if she hands one down. So if she says four to six games, I think that might be where it stays. My personal opinion is, at, let me rephrase, my professional opinion at this point is that I do think the NFL faced some difficulties in proving what they wanted to prove. At the same time, I think there's enough evidence to say that he's violated the policy. That's just my gut feel on this whole thing. I think it's still going to come down around a half a season. And what I said on my TikTok account was nine to 12 games. And I think that that the reason I said that was because I really think the NFL wants to be able to say now with 17 games that they got more than half a season. Because mm-hmm. if it's eight, it's like people are going to say, ah, oh, it's left less than a half a season. So I think they want to be able to say nine or 10. Maybe it goes, she says something in that range and he says, no, it should be 12. And then the appeal, it's going to end up settling between eight and 10. If I had to bet the farm, that's where I'm at today. Well, we really appreciate drew your perspective on this. It was just like incredibly knowledgeable to hear all the uh, kind of the facts that are laid out and, and just your, your, uh, your experience with not just criminal defense, but with the NFL and criminal defense and knowing what these things, how these things kind of play out. And I just want to say, I appreciate you being able to come in and share a bit of your intuition developed when you mentioned how 20 years of doing this, you hear this person, you hear that person, you end up having a good idea of what really did go on. Now, if you can prove that is a different story and your evaluation of the case and subsequent judgment based on what is provable regardless of what is proven, you still develop this intuition over multiple decades to give you an idea of what's really clearly gone on. And so for me personally, listening to you, Drew, talk about what probably really did happen and then what's going to happen from a legal perspective brings me a sense of peace. If there's been frustration, it's still there, but to have a little bit more understanding of how and why this is happening. And also, I do agree with you there that the NFL is likely looking to do more. And the reality is their hands really could be tied. Doesn't mean they're not going for it as well. And I just think that's overall good for the sport. Um, And I think we're seeing some positive directions, even if we don't necessarily see a positive overall ruling from this case. I agree with that. I, I think that we are too quick to say, oh, the NFL stinks or they didn't do this or they didn't do that. We're too quick to just be angry about everything. I really believe that the developments in both the way they hand down punishment and the way they pay attention to violence in the past, even five to six, seven years has gotten better. And I really, yeah, it really has. And I, I think that all we can ask is to move in the right direction. And if we continue to move in that direction, we'll eventually get there. We don't have to get there tomorrow. I know that that sounds, that sounds, that's convenient for me. We all want it. Yeah, Yeah, we want it. Yeah. I don't have to face the domestic violence issues every day. I don't have to face, you know, issues of race and things like that because I'm a, I'm a white guy. It doesn't, that doesn't affect me. But the Mm -hmm. point is uh, I, I want it to happen tomorrow, but just because it doesn't, doesn't mean that we aren't moving in the right direction. I do agree with your point. I think we're moving the right way. Well, we moved through this show, hopefully in the right way for you, Whisper Nation, to get all the uh, advice you need. We do have one more question regarding going back to the Kamara situation, if you don't mind, Drew. Scott asking serious question, with it being a felony, won't the NFL sit him with pay? Well, that's a, that's a great question because I just had a conversation with uh, another football guy about this two hours ago about why he's not on the exempt list. And he made a good point. He said, I don't think the NFL needed to put him on the exempt list because – they don't have to make that decision until right up close to the season. So that that's a good point. If the NFL feels like this is heinous enough, they can still do that. And that, that mm-hmm. could still happen. My point all along, though, has been I don't know why the NFL would act now when they knew all this stuff back in February. Because mm-hmm. it's not as if there's going to be something new that comes out unless this video drops and it's, like, really nasty. But, like, what else are they going to find out? They only have one side of this whole thing right now because – they can't interview Kamara. They can't interview the co-defendants. They have pending criminal charges. They only have one side of the story. So at this point, I don't know why the NFL would come off of their current stance. Mm. To me, I think the NFL would say, now we're just going to stay where, where we are until we know something more definitively. And typically in criminal cases, that's where they want to be. They don't want to be playing arbiter in the middle of a criminal case. So I don't see that happening. Never say never. I, I, I put my confidence interval about 70 to 75% of my opinion. That 20 to 30% is still a significant, you know, doubt in my mind. 
Yeah, and when we talked about evolution of what the NFL does, you talked about the Zeke case. I'm thinking of the Ray Rice situation, right, where they tried to do that, and then all of a sudden the video dropped and they looked, they had their pants down, you know. And so I, I think, do you think those two play are play a huge part? You, you mentioned in, in the way they're handling this now, like the 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 you know calm pattern that they're saying will just hold here. I, I do, but I I think that they don't want to make another misstep. So they're trying to be very measured about it, which they should. But again, the allegations have been there since February. I don't know why they would change between now and August mm-hmm. unless something new comes from this court date. Uh, but, you know, I say it all the time, and it's kind of funny to read that tweet where I'm like, yeah, sometimes uh, I don't even know what I think. If you follow me, you'll know that there's just brutal honesty here. Like, I don't, I don't pretend to be this NFL punishment expert. I'm a criminal defense legal expert. Um, and I've had to study a lot of the NFL's decisions. I feel like I know more than most and more than the layperson, but that doesn't make me an expert on NFL punishment. And we're dealing with new guidelines here. So all this stuff is very new. Um, the exempt list is only used in, in unusual circumstances. This could be one of those circumstances. It's my opinion that it's not going to happen. Well, Drew, we appreciate your opinion, your knowledge, your expertise. It's been an amazing show, and we appreciate it so much. Why don't you tell the people where they can find you and what you're working on now? Yeah, this is great. We've been talking so long that my recording in the background here went, went yeah. off. So, I didn't even notice guys, that. I've been trying to make eye contact. These are great nuggets. You guys were watching surfing, and I was kind of watching the surfing there. But, um, yeah, uh, sorry. Okay. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, Drew Davenport FF. TikTok is Fantasy Football Lawyer, and my podcast is called The Auction Brief. I discuss these legal situations in depth on that uh, podcast. It's really a unique show because I do legal stuff, I do auction stuff, and then I have guests, and we talk about general fantasy stuff. So come check out The Auction Brief. Yeah, we'll do. Make sure you do it, Whisper Nation. For Austin Steer, I'm Big Travi. We are the Fantasy Whispers, and we are out of here. Peace. Hey, you like mock drafting? So do we. Check out one of our previous mocks in the videos here and like and subscribe to catch next week's mock draft coming your way.